Welcome to the third episode of the I Ask podcast series. I'm Adam Armstrong, the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Senior Care, or IASC, and the host of the I Ask podcast series. For those of you who, who may be new to the I Ask podcast series, we are a podcast dedicated to bringing you the leading voices, experts, executives, and clinicians from across the senior care community as we tackle top issues that are impacting care and quality of life for seniors. Uh, we pride ourselves on diversity of guests as well, so you'll, you'll, you'll hear from attorneys, you'll hear from actuaries, you'll hear from uh, accountants, you'll hear from clinicians, you'll hear from executives, you'll hear from everybody that really touches the senior care continuum. We, can, we focus specifically on practical elements that impact these issues and illustrating how these issues impact providers in a variety of care settings. In today's episode, we catch up with president of the National Association of Activity Professionals, or NAP, uh, Elisa Tag. Elisa and I discuss the demographic change represented by baby boomers entering assisted living and skilled nursing living centers, and how they are massively shifting the way organizations schedule and program daily agendas. We discuss how choice is a powerful influencer among boomers, and why activity programmers and leadership can be on the same page to foster a rich quality of life uh, across the resident base. This conversation lasts approximately 30 minutes, so please sit back and enjoy, and thanks for stopping by. Uh, today we are thrilled to have a friend of the brand and a fantastic advocate within the field, an expert, Elisa Tag, joining us. Um, Elisa Tag has been a certified activity consultant since 2006 and an activity director working primarily in skilled nursing facilities since 1995. She currently serves as the president of the National Association of Activity Professionals, or, NA, or, or NAAP, or NAP, as we call them, and as president of the Southern Nevada Activity Professionals Association. She also works as an independent consultant in various facilities across Southern Nevada. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, a provider certificate of completion specializing in aging and the Nevada uh, Geriatric Education Center, and is a certified dementia practitioner with the National Certification Council for De uh, Dementia Practitioners. Uh, Elisa speaks on local, state, and national levels. Uh, she's spoken multiple times at our memory care forums. Uh, they're hosted throughout the year, and she she works uh, she speaks on various topics relating to healthcare and the activity uh, activity programming professional. Um, she has also enjoyed working uh, with elderly populations for a majority of her life, and has a great love for the elderly. It really comes out when she speaks. So, Elisa Tag, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's so hard sometimes to hear all about yourself like that, but it's always a good reminder of why we're here and what we're doing. And so I do have a great love for the elderly, so thank you for that. Yeah, of course, of course. And you, you've been on this journey with us. You've shared you know, a lot about yourself over this over these, uh, this past year that we've been working together. Yeah, NAP, obviously, a huge, uh, a huge partner to us on, uh, on the Memory Care Forums and as a content provider, so we can't thank you enough for that. So excited for you to be here. We're going to talk about baby boomers today. You excited, Elisa? I am so excited. This is like the next generation of people that we need to be really working with <laughs> and <laughs> developing great opportunities for them to enjoy their quality of life as they age. 
Yeah, no, that's great. It, I think I think the place that we'll start at, Elisa, is you, you know, according to recent statistics, by the year 2020, life expectancy in the U.S. is is projected to reach uh, 81.5.9 uh, years for women and 77.1 for men. Uh, given the massive size of the baby boomer population, how is the influx of population in the long-term care system with, with the baby boomers now coming in and sort of aging into long-term care? How is that impacting activities programming? It's severely impacting the programming because less than 10%, I would say, of recreational programs right now can meet the leisure and recreational needs of baby boomers. We're still kind of stuck in the days of the gaslight era, Lawrence Welk, you know, shows of those natures, and it's very difficult to make this transition, and I think many of our activity professionals across the nation are struggling with that, because not only is it this boomer population coming in, it's now people that are about our age as well, you know, and that's the, that's the, that's the conundrum that we're finding, is that, okay, so now we have to shift our mindset on how we're going to develop different styles of programming, and people don't like to change, and so getting into that mindset of changing and redeveloping and reprogramming what we're already offering is going to be a little difficult, I think, for many people. And it's going to be a huge impact on the activities programming. What is it about the, the baby boomers generation? What, what, what is it about them? Obviously, historically, there's a lot of entanglements there, thinking about things like the Vietnam War, um, growing up in a certain era. Uh, you know, I, I think I think there it definitely defines and differentiates their generation from others, does it not? Oh, totally. I, I think many I think our baby boomers are growing up with that sense of entitlement or like the customer is always right concept where you know they have this perception of themselves as very different from other generations. And that perception's kind of a, it's existed since childhood, and it's due to, attitude, lifestyle, social roles, and political roles that, and values that they've had over their lifetime. And so these attitudes of, I'm always right because I'm the customer, and this, and we're going to do things the way that I've always done them. And that's going to be a huge, you know, issue, too. And, and that's a problem, too, for, as an activity perspective, because most activity programs we do are these group settings where maybe we have an entertainer come in and play the guitar or play the piano. And that's not what the baby boomer is going to want to do. So we're going to have to be really changing our mindset. Well, I think there's a personalization aspect to it too, Lisa. Like they, they very much have a desire uh, uh, to have something specified specifically to them or tailored specifically to them. You know, if I'm an organization, you know, that's on a limited budget and on lim- pretty limited personnel constraints, you know, how does that put stress on me as an organization? organizations because of that specific thing that you just said that it's very limited budget limited staffing but the other nice thing with that is though baby boomers really don't need this they don't need to be entertained and so they're going to need they're going to want individualized things so they're going to want to have a room where they can go in where it's quiet and do maybe some you know uh computer work so they're going to want to have a room with a computer in it or they're going to want to go into another room where they can just watch whatever TV program they want to watch without interruption or without interaction. They're going to want to, you know, our facilities are going to have to change that concept of a facility and maybe become like a hotel concierge kind of program along the way too and just kind of change it up so that 
they're meeting the individual needs. And that's kind of what's going to happen with the boomers as they come in. It's going to become more individual and less of a group setting. You do a lot of consulting. Uh, you have a number of different clients out in Nevada. I, I was curious, are, are you kind of seeing the way uh, this this sort of uh, concept with, with, with baby boomers and this influx of population, how is it changing strategies uh, for a lot of these long-term care organizations? You know, because we also have that mandate to move towards person-centered care, no? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, I think you're going to have to change the entire structure of how you operate your facility. Um, looking at remodeling facilities for private rooms are going to be more important. Um, smaller activity spaces. So instead of having that grand, large, you know, activity room slash dining room, right. we're going to need to look at smaller areas of, of where they can be able to participate in the variety of activities that they want to participate. And they may not be the activities that we're providing. You know, they may want to sit outside and have their cigarette or you know, they may want to have their alcoholic beverage with their meal. They're going to want to have these things that they're used to having at home, and that's going to cause a conflict, you know, when we have all these regulations and, um, and guidelines that we have to follow, and especially with this culture change movement and the new uh, changes that came into CMS last November, making it more person-centered care. It's going to be difficult to do that if we're still trying to hold on to that old uh, concept of a facility and not making it a home and more of a community. Are, are there any things about baby boomers, you know, kind of besides what, we, what we've already talked about, any interests, likes, or dislikes that you really see standing out in, in, in the baby boomer resident? Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I think that, you know, fashion, decor, things of those natures, maybe their priorities are not scheduled right. They're going to want to have a shower every day. They're not going to want to do the two-day-a-week shower they're going to want to be continually educated. So looking at what we offer with activity programming is we're going to have to change the way we think about programming as well. Maybe location, changing up the location so that we're closer to them, changing the titles of the programs we offer. Instead of calling them activities, maybe call them like demonstrations sure. where we have special classes or we do a cooking demonstration or we have a craft creative demonstration over here, more social clubs maybe, more spa-like programming, of course, and then the trendy exercises like Zumba and yoga and Tai Chi and different things of that nature, and even technology-related, looking at, you know, how to Snapchat, how to use Twitter properly, how to Facebook, you know, and Instagram. All of these things are going to be some, that, those are going to be the types of programs that a baby boomer is going to want to enjoy rather than sitting in a cooking group where the activity person is doing all the cooking in the front. They're going to want to get engaged and involved. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, technology is such a big portion of that. You know, as, you know they, as they look to age, you know, and, and, and they're coming into these organizations, it's just one more way to kind of connect with the family and almost use it, leverage it as an activity. Uh, you, you could almost leverage it as part of their daily agenda and make it part of the program. You know, you mentioned Snapchat and a few other functions. Are you really seeing some success in the field with that? Not 100%, but what I have found is when the facilities engage in the local high schools and get like their honors uh, students that need to have hours of uh, community service, I've utilized these teenagers to come in and to provide the programming and the teaching of this programming for the computerized 
uh, versions of everything. It's been very successful because you're also having this intergenerational opportunity right. along the same lines as you're using the youth because maybe you're, you, you yourself as the activity professional or the worker in the facility don't fully understand how to Snapchat. So getting, you know, the teenager to teach, teach you and teach them how to do it, it's a little bit more successful when you have somebody like that in that generation come in and teach the next generation on how to do it. I have found more success that way. So just engaging and getting people involved in your community to come into your facility to provide these opportunities as well is very important. Are there, are there any things that, that stand out to get that type of engagement from the community? Like what, what type of success have you seen with that? Uh, just engaging, you know, some of those folks who are maybe looking for community service hours. Uh, and then ultimately, how do you kind of like loop that into the facility and, and sort of make it almost part of life there? Well, yeah, I, one of the things that I would recommend is you go out, you meet with your high school uh, coaches or the uh, advisors to those programs and um, talk to them and say, you know, we're a community, we're just down the street from you. We would love to have your students come in and, and, and get their volunteer service hours here. Can I come talk with them? So you're going to have to go out in the community yourself. You can't just stay in your own you know, facility. You're going to have to get out there and talk. I used to go out and work with the Kiwanis Club. I would go and do presentations with them to right. get them involved and engaged. So you're going to have to go out. You're going to have to do the footwork to get the community involved. Sometimes, you know, it's not... Um, easy to just go put a, you know, grocery stores are really good about allowing you to put like a little three by five card for advertising on their bulletin board at the front of the grocery store. That sometimes can be effective in smaller communities. I'm, I'm from Las Vegas. And so that's not very effective here because we have grocery stores on every corner. And so we have, I have to get out there and do that. And so I would encourage activity professionals or any, you know, community professionals that are working with the seniors to get out there and just start promoting your facility and asking for that involvement and then when you get this involvement you need to be prepared so that they're not sitting around doing nothing so developing these things having these ideas and suggestions of what you want to have done so the we is very popular so having somebody teach how to do the we uh maybe getting the xbox connect involved right uh you know getting cards and board games and things like that you know everything that they want to have getting the students to engage with that because when you're short on staff, volunteers are your next step. Right, right. You're definitely going to need volunteers, yeah. I think, I think if anything, um, you know, I, I, I give our audience an idea, Lisa, of the, top, of the top three activities that you'd say are, are really most effective when you're, when you're gearing more towards baby boomers and catering more towards them. Okay, so great. Yeah, that's a great question. Technology, I would say, is the top number one. Everybody wants to learn how to do technology, whether it be games on the iPad or doing the social media aspect of it, but the technology is going to be number one. Number two is going to be uh, exercise of any form. So whether it be yoga, you know, Tai Chi, Pilates, Zumba, walking clubs, different things like that, getting them involved in the exercise aspect of it. And then the next one will be the educational demonstration, where we're going to learn something new. And that could be um, history-related. It could be art appreciation. It could be anything like that. And just getting so like technology, exercise, and education are probably the top three. 
And, and when when you talk about educational demonstrations, yeah, I, I I know you've done something innovative on this front. I'm sure of it. Hey, do you have any uh, Do you have any classes that stand out to you? <laughs> I have so many different things that we have done, and one of the things you can do is some of the things that I used to do was like I would get the staff involved. So I had a my maintenance director was a, a mini race car driver on the weekend. <laughs> and so just educational, he, he actually drove in his little, well, he brought it on the trailer and we brought it in and he did a demonstration on how he drives the race car. He wore the bodysuit, the helmet. So it's kind of an educational demonstration on that. We've had the motorcycle clubs come in and do demonstrations on, on the proper techniques to ride a motorcycle. So when you get into more of the educational portion of things like college classes, things of that nature. Um, your local library, Google, is very popular with that. We've done art appreciation where we've studied a particular artist for the, for the month, and we would have their paintings be on display, whether it just be through the computer, and then we would discuss our thoughts on that painting. <laughs> and then we would kind of talk about what the artist was really intending for the painting to, you know, what their thought was on the painting. And it was just different because everybody would have a different opinion on that artist's painting. Or then we would take a philosopher like Plato and talk about his his ways of philosophy and how, do we agree with them or not. Or we would talk about Carl Jung and his dream interpretations and we would talk about our different dreams and just how we can interpret them and, and, and different things along that line. So just getting very fun with education to the point where you know, you're know you not sitting down doing an English class, so to speak, and you're having to write a term paper, but just having fun about all the cultural that's out there. Uh, you could do a travel club where armchair travel is kind of the, the title of those things where you maybe go to Hawaii, but you don't leave the chair. And so you talk about all the differences in Hawaii. Who's been to Hawaii? What was your favorite thing about Hawaii? Have foods that are from Hawaii. Serve pineapple. Very simple, you know, along the way. And just keeping it fun, educational at the same time so that when they walk away from that program, they've learned something different. Yeah, yeah. I think I think all of those ways are really innovative and, and, and different. I knew you'd have a story for that. I, 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 <laughs> I had to ask. We'd like to take a quick break away from our conversation with Elisa Tag to tell you a bit about our supporting sponsor of the IAS podcast series, the Memory Care Forums. Memory Care Forums are two-day events hosted by the Institute for the Advancement of Senior Care to specifically drive dialogue and conversation around best practices and innovations to better care for residents living with dementia. The Memory Care Forums heading into their third year are developed by developed with both administrators and clinicians in mind and feature pioneering researchers, thought leaders, caregivers, and a host of individuals and experts from across the landscape of care. The Memory Care Forums have long been known for their interactive and experiential sessions and boast continuing education from leading national continuing education organizations. Be sure to save the day today as the Memory Care Forums return to Philadelphia for the spring meeting May 21st and 22nd in 2018, and we'll also be releasing dates for the fall meeting within the next two months. Register today for discounted early bird passes by visiting iAdvanceSeniorCare.com and clicking on the Memory Care Forums link. Again, that's iAdvanceSeniorCare.com and click the Memory Care Forums link. Now, back to our conversation with Elisa Tag. So, so, you know, according to a recent study by the ProMatura Group, uh, 88% of organizations surveyed reported having a wellness program. 
while 11% reported having wellness activities, but not a formal program. How are you seeing activities progress on the wellness front? You know, you mentioned Tai Chi, you mentioned yoga. Are, are, are these things being tied in with the electronic record? Are you, are you, seeing, are you seeing real ADL improvements out, out of these types of initiatives? And can you talk about what, what some of that looks like? Yeah, the, the issue with the, with the wellness program that I'm finding is that because in order for it to be captured on the ADLs and as it's considered an exercise, is that the groups have to be very small. You have to have one leader to four participants. And so when you do a large group of Tai Chi where you have 20 plus people maybe in the group, you're not being able to capture it appropriately. But at the same sense, you can see a difference in the in the clients that you're working with because they are being able to age in place so to speak and be able to maintain that function as best as possible i think the reason why we're seeing that you know 11 percent of the of the there's not a formal program and 11 percent of the facilities is because it's difficult to find the instructors because you have to if you're going to do tai chi right you have to have a tai chi certified instructor so I could go up and teach Tai Chi, no problem, as the activity professional, but I'm not a certified instructor, so I really legally couldn't call it Tai Chi. I would have to come up with another creative title for that. Um, and then with working with, like, physical therapy, so you have your therapist, but they're there to do the therapy function for the rehabilitation process, and that definitely can be captured, you know, for the prospective payment system. But then when they get to that point, well, now we've, we've tapered off, we've uh, plateaued in our in our uh, progression, and so now we're going to be looking at maintenance. Then that's where the activity program comes into play, providing different types of activities that can help them with their movement and being able to keep you know all their joints and that range of motion going at the same time. And I think that's where the issue comes into play with these wellness activities not getting a kickoff just yet. Is being able to hire people that are specifically you know trained for those for those types of programs and keep them i ha- i have several facilities right. here in town that just turnover because it's not something that maybe that person if they're a tai chi instructor or they're a, a, a physical therapy aide because they can do that as well or they're a fitness instructor things along those lines it's kind of not at their level of where they want to be, you know, when they're wanting to do the weight training and the different things that come into play with that. Where the resident may want to do that, but you have to be very careful with you know, with uh, liability and everything and making sure that they're not injuring themselves or doing improper techniques with the training and everything. Right. So it's, that, I think that's where the problem is because there's budget, you know, restraints as well. So hiring another person to do that may not fit into the budget right now. Are you finding too that cross training is becoming more of a thing now as well? It, like activities, pro, activity programmers who are sharing that insight with the rest of the facility. Yes, yes, definitely. You know, when you're when you're in your interdisciplinary team meetings and things, you need to be sharing that information. I fully agree that that has to be done where everybody's learning different functions, and that's kind of like that universal worker that hasn't fully 100% taken off across the United States that where everybody's trained to be able to do little different things along the way. And I think that's important, too, so that the activity professional doesn't do something wrong. You know, if it be with helping somebody transfer from a chair to the machine or anything like that, you have to be very careful that you know proper techniques as well. I think it speaks, too, to a larger movement in this industry 
Elisa, I think that culture change is probably critical here and an executive level support and involvement. Are, are you seeing that at the facilities that are in the centers and the, the residences that you're working at? Um, very little. I think it's difficult because culture change, you know, has such a huge definition of what it means. And at the same time, we have regulations and, and guidelines that we have to follow. Like when I think about culture change, I think I can eat when I want, what I want, where I want. You know, I can do what I want, when I want, where I want. And with the culture change, that's the, that's the idea of that movement is that it's just this home-like atmosphere that I can go to the refrigerator and grab a sandwich when I want in the middle of the night, or I can go and get my breakfast at 10 o'clock in the morning. But at the same time, with the regulations and the guidelines that our facilities have to maintain and follow, you know, I, we have, there's a federal regulation that dinner is, what time dinner is served and what time breakfast is served, there's a certain amount of time that has to be, you know, you can't provide, you know, there's like a 15-hour time window from when dinner was served to when breakfast has to be served. And so that's why the facility is so strict on a schedule, you know, breakfast has to be at this time. Well, I don't eat breakfast at 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. I eat breakfast at 11. Or right. I don't eat breakfast at all. And that's the issue we're going to find with these boomers coming in is that they're going to be like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to eat when I want to eat and where I want to eat <laughs> and, and how much I want to eat. And I don't want to have, you know, a poached egg today. I want to have pancakes or I'd, I'd rather have granola and I'd rather have yogurt or things like that, you know, what we're seeing. And that's going to be a conflict. And that and I think that's why culture change also hasn't really boomed like it should have because we have – these guidelines and the regulations that we're constantly fighting or battling and culture change moves into that. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to work out. I know you're, an, you're a huge advocate of culture change, Lisa, just in the conversations that we've had candidly. You know, I, I, is there anything that stands out to you in terms of forming relationships with staff members, more specifically, perhaps the director of nursing or perhaps uh, some of the coordinator positions, administrators, how can the activity professionals sort of play a role as, as they shift, as the entire organization shifts to more of a person-centered care model? Yeah, I think the activity professional is gonna be the leader of this transition. And so developing good relationships with your fellow department managers is extremely important. Uh, going in and meeting with the, with the director of nursing and discussing the different things that wanna be done. I would recommend a, a formal meeting with the administrator and the director of nursing and just say these are some things that I would like to try in the transition process and I would love to have your support in that. And so what can we do to work together to make this happen? Uh, going in with, the, with an attitude of let's work together than an attitude of this is what we're doing kind of thing I, I think can be put offish by, for other people to have you know the activity professional come in. A lot of times the activity professional is the low man on the totem pole, and so they really feel like they don't have a voice in that. And so just my, my words of, of wisdom or advice or what have you is get out there and make your voice heard and go and attend. Uh, I would always attend the, the nursing staff meetings and bring a little tidbit about the activity programming and what we can do to make a difference. And I think that was helpful because they saw me as a, as, a, as a human being, just like they are a human being, and right. working with them and getting involved with them and going down on the floor and getting out and, and discussing with the CNAs what, what you would like to see done 
after you've discussed it with the, the DON, you know, making sure that you're, you're okay to do that and step on that, step over in that line and, and cross train as you, as you said earlier and work with each other to put these programs into place. And some things, you know, with the culture change movement, you know, it talks about making atmosphere home-like. And I think a fish tank is not going to cut it anymore. Right. You know, we have to do more than just having a fish tank in the front lobby. We've got to have the intermingles of everybody working together so that we can, we can provide the good quality programming that we want to provide. And if you had one big recommendation for your colleagues and perhaps long-term care executives who are listening to this podcast, what would it be, you know, uh, to really develop meaningful activity programming, uh, activities programs uh, for baby boomers? Well, I think it would be important to look at the needs of the individuals that we have in our facility and then make the changes that we need to make in order to provide for those individual needs. That is the main thing with this culture change movement and the new regulations is that everything is individual. So getting to know the residents and that history, the social history is very important. And then providing the things that are going to need to provide to help your facility move into that next level or to the next generation. Um, One of the things I highly recommend is putting together like a directory of the things you offer. So like when you go into a hotel, you have that little book in your in your hotel room that tells you everything that goes on in your facility. So you would have maybe your the TV channels where the books are located, different things along that line, maybe uh, special programming that's available, uh, frequently asked questions, what the rules are of the facility, a map of the facility is very important, right. uh, information, phone numbers, things like that, where the location and availability of supplies may be that you may want to get into, and look at your resources and learn from what you already have and then build on that because obviously we're not going to be able to tear our buildings down and then rebuild them but starting to make changes minor changes to the facility smaller rooms different spaces where they can have that privacy that they want to have that quiet time computer areas wi-fi all of these things are going to be very important as we move into this next generation well, Lisa, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. Tell us a little bit about NAP, and I, I think you guys got to have a conference coming up, do you not? We do. The National Association of Activity Professionals, we're celebrating our 35th anniversary this year. April 4th through the 7th, we'll be in Denver, Colorado, celebrating this anniversary. We're very excited to have NAP continue to grow and develop and move forward. And our main purpose is education, advocacy, and support for our membership. We are the national provider of education to our activity professionals and making sure that they're continually learning new and different things, just like how to work with the baby boomers as we move forward into the next generation of life, as I like to call it. So, yes, we're very excited to be celebrating in Denver in April our 35th anniversary. Well, we're all looking forward to Denver. Uh, Lisa Tag, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. We really appreciate all of your guys' support and all the best as you guys head into Denver, all right? Thank you, Adam. It was a great time. And that does it for our conversation with Lisa Tag. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the IAS podcast series. Thank you again to our partnering supporters, sponsors of the IAS podcast series, the Memory Care Forums and the Healthcare Capital Summit. Again, we encourage you to visit iAdvancedSeniorCare.com 
and to click the Memory Care Forums link to check out some of the details around our upcoming 2018 conference dates for the Memory Care Forums. We look forward to seeing you back here soon for the next episode of the IAS podcast series.